This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. The physical realm is a manifestation of the spiritual realm. And right now, the spiritual realm is incredibly agitated. People of faith are resorting to the flesh because their inexperience in the spiritual realm renders them defenseless to withstand what's going on. Alan McGuire shares how to fight our present spiritual war in the physical. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans, welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. We're going to get into the fourth and final episode of How to Navigate the Greater Exodus with Alan Aguirre in just a minute. But speaking of the Greater Exodus and all things Revelation, we want to talk to a filmmaker who has a brand new movie on the subject. Please welcome Tim Mahoney. Tim, welcome to Shabbat Night Live. Well, it's great to be back again. So you have a new movie coming out uh, next week. It's a special event in theaters. It's called uh, The Seven Churches of Revelation, Times of Fire. What is this movie all about? This film is a film that goes to the very locations where the seven churches were. Uh, it's a French filmmaker who actually made this film. He, he was inspired by Patterns of Evidence, our films, and thought, hey, I, maybe I could do this. And so he went to Turkey and he went to the actual locations, uh, to the island of Patmos, and then he went to uh, the location of Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and all the other churches. And he made a series, uh, a very special high quality series about this. And then uh, he ended up contacting me and we helped him to make the first part of it into a film, a, a theatrical film, which is going to be in theaters October 11th and 12th as a Fathom event. Okay, so are there, is there a website where people can go to to find out if there is a theater near them where they can see this? Yes, there is. Uh, if you go to www and then the number seven and then churches, sevenchurches.com, you can see a trailer there. In fact, uh, uh, it has a trailer. You can buy tickets. And this event is also going to be, like I said, in theaters nationwide on the uh, October 11th and 12th. And then uh, it's going to be a virtual cinema for those people in other parts of the world. Uh, on October 26th, we'll have it as a virtual cinema event as well. And you'll be able to see after the film, we're gonna have a panel uh, discussion of experts talking about what, what people have seen. And I think this film is really timely right now because there's so much uncertainty in the world. And people are wondering, you know, are, are we living in the end times? And, uh, you, know, what's, what, you know, what's gonna happen in the future? And I think that this film, uh, raises a, a great big question for all of us is, are we ready for the return of Christ? So what is with the, uh, the times of fire? What's behind that, uh, that part of the name? Well, uh, it has multiple meanings. And what we're going to see in this film, we're going to go back and look at what happened to the early church because, because of the fire of the Holy Spirit that came upon them, uh, it revolutionized. It was a revolution that was happening in people's lives. Uh, but there was also uh, uh, a, a, a whole other uh, worldview that was going on, that you needed to worship and, and obey Caesar, and you had to worship the gods that were there. And these Christians come along, and they're saying, no, there's, there's only one Lord and God. And uh, so this is what ended up happening, was that then there was the fire of persecution that started to happen, because they were standing up because of the fire of the Holy Spirit that told them, you need to testify to the truth of who God really is. And so that's where it's a play on words, you know, and we can see today, Scott, you know, that there are, there's uh, times of fire that are happening to many believers around the world as they stand up, but greater is the fire within them, the Holy Spirit, that, that is causing them to be courageous. Uh, that's what this is all about, is, is sort of wakening people up to what happened in the early church and then what does this mean now for us in the future? I gotcha, wow, sounds like an awesome film. I understand you have a trailer that you can share with us, is that right? Yeah, I do, so yeah, why don't we show the trailer now? All right. 
Since the first century, a book of the Bible has made a lasting impact on history. The book of Revelation and its strange prophecies. The Apostle John received a revelation from Christ, which he wrote in this book during his exile in Patmos. The prophecies it contained were addressed to seven churches in Asia Minor, each of which received a mysterious letter. I decide to investigate to understand what these seven churches represent, what message is sent to them. Through the centuries, the book of Revelation became the source of new hope for early Christians, then oppressed by the Roman imperial power. Until the time of Constantine, of course, we had various persecutions in the church. Many uh, Christians had died. My journey will take me from Patmos in the Aegean Sea to Turkey, the ancient Asia Minor, land of the powerful ancient cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamon. What will I discover about the history of those early Christians? How far were they willing to go to follow their master, Jesus Christ? What about Christians today? In 73 countries around the world today, Christians are persecuted for their faith. Discover how striking and topical the message of Revelation is for the church today. Be prepared to answer the crucial question. Are you ready to stand firm in the times of fire? All right, so there is the trailer of Times of Fire. Again, uh, Tim, there's several ways to watch this. Uh, first of all, are you coming out with a DVD and Blu-ray after all this is done? Yes, we will be coming out with them. And uh, in fact, they're in process right now. And is this not just one film, by the way? This is, uh, as you know, some of the work that I do with Patterns of Evidence, we have a series of films. Well, for the next several years, uh, Lord willing, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Revelation. And uh, we're going to be, this first film looks at the, the location of Patmos, where uh, Christ appeared to uh, John. And then it goes to Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum. And there are going to be things in this movie that no one has ever seen before. And you're going to learn uh, connections that I think most people don't know about. I even had Revelation scholars say they had never seen uh, this information like this before. So it's going to be very helpful. And I think in this particular film, it's it's a, it's not necessarily about is this uh, is Christ returning before the tribulation, mid-trib or post-trib or whatever. At this time, this film is really looking at the historical context and the situation that the early church was facing. And then it's going to ask questions, I think, about, well, how, you know, the church of Ephesus, they were doing really well, but they lost their first love. And Christ was, you know, rebuking them for that. And uh, and there are many different uh, things that we're going to learn. I think that people are going to be greatly inspired, and I hope I hope that they're going to be uh, take more seriously their faith. And I do think this film is good for people that, you know, want to share it with others because there's uh, Scott, as you know, there's a lot of prodigals out there uh, that that you know that have wondered. And this, you know, before two years ago, it seemed like the world had all sorts of hope and. And everything, and now people are living in a different mindset. They might be more open to uh, the good news of the gospel. Indeed. Thank you for making this film, Tim. Again, there is where you can see it on the bottom of your screen. And I'm going to be watching it next week. I hope you are too. And uh, Tim Mahoney, thank you for bringing us uh, the Seven Churches of Revelation, Times of Fire. And we will be in theaters watching it. Thanks again for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. So stay tuned for the final episode with Alan Aguirre of How to Navigate the Greater Exodus coming up. When Keith Johnson purchased a centuries-old scroll, he got more than he bargained for. And now, after sharing the scroll's surprising oddities on Shabbat Night Live, Keith Johnson and Nehemia Gordon are revealing the best surprises of all in this month's Love Gift teaching. He said, Keith, I don't know if anyone's ever been able to show this sort of thing this way. Didn't you not say that? I don't know that anybody ever has taken something like this microscope and showed it to an to a audience that wasn't a bunch of academics at a conference. In this month's Love Gift teaching, The Scroll Untold, Nehemia Gordon and Keith Johnson 
share the best kept secrets of one very unique scroll. From mystery markings to rabbinic rule bending, you'll love every minute of this eye-opening story. Right now, for a limited time, you can get your copy of The Scroll Untold by donation. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you The Scroll Untold on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you The Scroll Untold, plus an incredibly soft microfiber blanket depicting Yehovah's appointed times, available only from A Rude Awakening International. Or as a special offer, for a donation of $300, we'll send you The Scroll Untold, the blanket featuring Yehovah's appointed times, plus a silver-plated kidder set with four wine cups decorated with scenes from ancient Jerusalem. These are special gifts from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Don't wait. The Scroll Untold is available only until October 31st and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts. 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online at monthlylovegift.com. When the resurrected saints are gathered together on the sea of fire and glass for the 10 days of awe, the 10 days of inspection, and then getting dressed for the marriage supper of the Lamb, we wait to hear if our name is called into the marriage supper of the Lamb, into the Mishkan in heaven, where Yeshua will sit at the head of the table, where As John says, he sees the Ark of the Covenant, the throne of Yeshua, and he is sitting on it, and we go into the marriage supper of the Lamb, and this is when Yeshua's promise is finally fulfilled. He told his disciples on the night of the Last Supper, when he blessed the Most High with the prayer of the Melech Zadik, Baruch Atah Yehovah, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. I am your provision. By my stripes you will be healed. And then Yeshua, as he took his cup and he passed it around to his disciples, he said, I will not drink this again till I drink it with you, my Father's kingdom. The marriage supper of the Lamb, Yeshua will take his cup and he will say again, this represented and still represents the renewing of the covenant, the covenant that offered to make you priest and kings, I paid the death penalty. I paid the price for the broken covenant and now, now you get to drink with me in my Father's kingdom. You are the ones that are going to live and reign with me upon the earth for a thousand years because I paid the price. Until the marriage supper of the Lamb, we do this in remembrance of him. Shabbat Shalom. When Israel was about to occupy the land, they became afraid because there were giants in the land, very real looking giants. Today we have spiritual enemies, but in essence, those spiritual enemies are more real than the Nephilim. Alan O'Guire, welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. We wanna talk more about your book called Exodus to Ingathering a Field Manual. And that is, uh, you know, it's not just for uh, metaphorically speaking, the exodus to ingathering, but very realistically, we are heading toward a similar time. Our enemies are spiritual, but in a sense, those spiritual enemies are more real than the Nephilim. They're, they're bigger, they're badder, and sometimes they're even in our head. They're bigger and badder because they're, because they're ours, mm-hmm. you know. And yes, um, I really believe that you know, there's all those analogies that we're saved from our own Egypt and we mm-hmm. have to go through a desert experience and, we're, and we are literally headed towards a prophetic inheritance, a prophetic destiny. Mm-hmm. And there is warfare on that path. There's warfare en route to that prophetic inheritance. That's life on this planet. That's just, that's, that's our portion, mm-hmm. you know? And it started in the garden and, and, and it won't stop until after the millennium reign, so we still got a ways to go. Um, 
so, yes, I, I believe that a lot of times we are our biggest enemy and uh, mm -hmm. we're our biggest obstacle. We don't, again, we don't like to do what we don't like to do, and so we right. won't do it. And or we make excuses for why we don't do what we do or why we do what we do. Either way, it's, it's what we call humanity. And, and that human element, uh, whatever, however that's going to manifest, whether it's spiritual Munchausen uh, mm -hmm. or just complete sabotage or indifference or a religious spirit, it's not conducive to walking in fruitfulness in the Lord, in mm -hmm. Messiah. And, it's, and it is really actually designed to, to stop us and to, 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 to stunt our growth. To, to, to be sabotaged. Uh, we sabotage ourselves. Now, we're tempted by the lust of our own flesh. So that should tell us something about, if, if, we, if we even get to the place where we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us or to allow the Holy Spirit to actually transform us, it's always good to know what the rules of engagement are. Oh, I'm tempted by the lust of my own flesh. The devil's not making me do anything. It's me. I'm tempted and I'm driven by the lust of my flesh. Remember, the, the, it says the, the, the carnal mind is an enmity with the will of God, mm -hmm. with the Spirit of God. So there's this primal thing that's in us as fallen, as fallen species that is actually going to be constantly combating what the Holy Spirit would actually want us to be or do. So yeah, one of our biggest obstacles is definitely ourselves. So how do we equip ourselves against ourselves, I guess is the right. question. How well, do we do that? It, it, that's why it talks about you have to die to your flesh. You have to mm -hmm. die to self. Take up your cross daily. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. I mean, that's more than three. We're told that we can grow up and be whatever we want to be. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true. You want to be an entrepreneur, a businessman, whatever. You can get into politics, government, anything you want to do. Right. But you have to utilize, there's a thing called cause and effect. This planet is designed by certain elements, you know, mm -hmm. uh, cause and effect. You have to act, like you said earlier, you have to do something. You have to do certain things. If you want to be a professional, I don't know, let's say a professional entertainer, a musician, mm -hmm. uh, or a worship leader or something, you should probably start with learning how to play an instrument. You know, <laughs> there's, it's just common sense stuff. You have to utilize those things. If right. you don't utilize them, you will not, I guarantee you, succeed at whatever it is you're trying to succeed at. And that, just, that should bring us to the parable of the minas and the talents, mm. right? You have been given something to steward that belongs to the Father, that belongs to the Messiah, to the Lord, because that's in the parable of the Lord, right? You have been given something to steward that belongs to Him, and He's coming back to give it, and you're going to have to give an account for how you steward what He yet left you to steward. And you have to be proactive with that. Mm -hmm. And to be, to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, they doubled it. Now, the one that hit it or buried it, it's really, it's really important what that person, what that one talent guy said. I was afraid of you. Why are you afraid of Messiah? Because you're a harsh man. You reap where you don't sow. You gather where you don't lay seed. And that's something that was said about Israel in the Torah mm -hmm. when they entered the promised land. You will gather where you don't lay seed. There's houses and cities and vineyards and all of this is already there for you, for mm -hmm. the taking. You gather where you don't lay seed. Reap what you don't sow. Jesus used that to define, to, to, as, as an attribute of himself in that parable, in those two parables. Very interesting. Well, the person that didn't steward well, hid it or buried it, was called evil, lazy, and dumb. But the person, the two that did double what they were given to steward, well done, good and faithful servant. And I like the Mina version because give him 10 cities to rule. Because, well, who do you think is going to rule the earth when he comes back? His good stewards. So again, we have to be proactive in what we're doing. And it's all, and, and this is where we're getting, we lose a lot of people, is when you let them know and, and when, they, when you tell them, look, what it is that we're talking about is actually done in the spiritual realm. Because this is all a facade. 
right? I, I'm from LA. I'm from Hollywood. I'm from Burbank, the media capital of the world. I, you know, universal backlot. You have facades. It's a fake front mm-hmm. and a make-believe back. It's a set. Well, that's what our physical realm actually is. It's th- that dialogue in the Matrix about the uh, residual self-image when Neo is first exposed to the Matrix. It's a, it's a beautiful dialogue because it really does speak of these things. The physical realm is a manifestation of what is happening in the spiritual realm. And right now, the spiritual realm is incredibly agitated. Mm. And that's why we're seeing what we're seeing in the physical realm and why we're seeing so many people of faith resorting to the flesh. Because, see, if you don't have the experience or if you haven't exercised the spiritual walk, your spiritual walk, walking in the spirit, when it comes down to it, you're not going to default to that. You're going to default to what you know, and most people know the flesh, not mm. the spirit. Good point. Very good point. Another point here that you make in the book here, this is on page 105. This is in a section called Possession, Not Occupation. Yeah. So when Israel went in to possess the land, not occupy it, is that, is that what we're getting right. at here? What's the difference? What are we speaking of here? Occupying is more of a squat. You're squatting. You're mm-hmm. occupying. You're just taking up space until whenever. Israel wasn't told to occupy this promised land. They were told to possess the promised land. And the Hebrew word possess is very violent. It, 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 the, the, the definition of the, if you look at the, up the word possess, in the Hebrew, it's violent. It's aggressively getting rid of any previous tenants and not leaving any sign of their previous inhabitants mm. or, in, or habitation. It's, we're talking, it's like, mm. a, it's like an erectus set. You yeah. shake it and it's all gone. And it's a violent word, possess. And Israel had the mandate to possess mm. their prophetic inheritance, the land of Canaan. There's actual... Um, there's, there's, there's pillars. There's a couple pillars in an island somewhere in the Mediterranean, and I can never remember the name of the island. And it says, it's, there's an inscription, we are the Canaanites that fled the robber uh, Joshua of Nun. The, mm. the robber and the murderer Joshua of Nun. You know, because there, jo- Joshua and Caleb went into the land to possess it, and that was to drive out the inhabitants and mm. leave no, no sign of a previous inhabitant. That's what they were charged to do. Why? Because the inhabitants were not entirely human. It was a demonic strain of humanity that needed to be purged, and it wasn't, mm. which is why we are going to see residual of that in our tomorrow. And I think we've seen it all throughout our history. So, and you asked an important question here in that same section regarding our, our spiritual possession of our mm-hmm. inheritance. So you, you asked three questions. And what is my, where is my territory? What or where is my territory? Who, what are my giants in my territory that need to be dis- dispossessed? And how do I possess my territory? So what and where is our territory? What, what is a spiritual territory we sure. speak of? Well, what is God's will for your life? So, um, like, for example, God moved me from Southern California to Dallas. Mm-hmm in 1994, and I was there for 18 years. That was my new territory. And I had to learn how to possess that territory. It took mm. me three years plus just to submit to the reality that I was living in Texas. So this I'm from LA, some, man. <laughs> this is some ethereal thing that, oh, God oh, no. spiritually wants me to do this, this is as tangible. part of his kingdom. It's where you are, where he's put you, take it's, a look around and see what you have to do. It's called God's will for your life. Mm. I only know those who do the will of my father. If God's will is for you to be in Dallas, you better be in Dallas. Doing God's will and His work, you know. And but you have to submit to His will. It took me over three years to submit to that reality. I remember when Mm -hmm. I went, okay, man. Dallas, eighteen years in Dallas was it was the greatest thing that happened to me uh, Mm -hmm. financially as a as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, uh, as a as a husband, as a father, my family. I mean, I mean. But if I hadn't aligned myself, if I hadn't submitted myself to his alignment for my life, live in Texas, big D, Mm -hmm. I mean, we make fun of Texas and Texans in L.A. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And here I was living in it. Man, but but when I finally 
submitted to God's will in my life, man, it push. I now, not only did I know what my territory was, but I knew what God's will for that territory, and I was able to possess it. And any giants that were in the way, man, I did, we did quick work of them. Hmm. You know, and it was an amazing time. And we literally waited 18 years in Dallas and lived there. Remember when he sent him to Babylon? Mm-hmm. Right? They were, they were sent to Babylon for a reason. But, when, but what did he tell him? Go, have, marry your kids, start families and gardens and build homes and have a life. Don't, oh, I'm in Babylon. No, go and, go and, and live life. Hmm. I know my plans for you, and they're good, right? He didn't tell him, you know, you better wear sackcloth and ashes and walk around all gloomy and doomy because you're under occupation and you've been taken uh, as slaves, you know. Babylonian captivity. No, he told him the exact opposite. Hmm. Go. This is my plan for you, you know. So when we were, you know, we were in Dallas, I, I, we took advantage. We, 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 we thrived and we prospered. And we, and, but, in the, but the whole time we were there, we were waiting to move to Utah. Hmm. And we waited 18 years to go to Utah. So now, right, we've been in Utah, we're going on our ninth year. And again, you don't go to Utah until God tells you to, which is why we waited 18 years, hmm. even though we knew about it for, you know, almost 20 years. Oh, wow. It took 20 years for it to actually, so for, you knew for you the were, green light. You knew you were, you were called to Utah. It was just a situation yes. of not yet. Right. It was Because imagine if I had gone from L.A. to Utah without learning all that I learned in Dallas. It would hmm. be, it would be that, that's... Incredibly dangerous. We had a similar situation coming to North Carolina. Uh, we lived in Canada. Five years before we ever moved here, there was, uh, I'll explain it some other time, but a situation after situation that pointed to North Carolina specifically. And five years later, here was this opportunity out of the blue that we were nowhere near in our lives even going right. to come up against until that fifth year came yeah. around. We saw the job opportunity, we took it, and my wife said one day, oh, do you, do you remember five years ago when we were spoken to about yeah. moving to North Carolina? And here it is. And we didn't realize until we were in the midst of it. And we are yeah. like, oh, wow, that's, that's a fulfillment right. of this. Okay. Re- relocation, that's, it's, that's really important. I mean, we were talking earlier about timelines. Timelines are everything, man. Mm-hmm. Timelines are so, people don't even understand half, half the time about timelines or why they're important. They're incredibly, incredibly important. Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem. He had to go to Egypt. He had to come out of Egypt. He had mm-hmm. to live in Nazareth. He had to live in Capernaum. You know, and, and not only are those places geographically important, but the times, mm-hmm. the timing of when to leave one and go to the other. You know, and, and that's just one example. But it's like, it's, they're, they're vital, important pieces to this path, to mm-hmm. understanding, you know, what's your territory, and then to have authority over the giants in your territory in order so that you can possess. Christians, they're squatters. The most, most, most Christians are just occupying. Why? They're waiting to be raptured. They're waiting for, to be taken away. Hmm. Why do you think? I, I think one of the reasons why he's delayed is because of that. Because you're not taking care of your business. You're not, he didn't tell you to go and just sit idly by and wait for time to go by until I return and, and rescue you or ra- ra- whatever, rapture you or whatever. No, there's, there's, you're supposed to be preparing a people for me. Right. And in order to prepare a people for me, the way I've instructed you to do, you have to first become that person. Whoa, well, wait a second. That, what's that going to require? It's going to require everything we've been talking about, everything that we're talking about in this, right? Learning how to, to, be, to, to man up, start adulting, hashtag adulting, right? <laughs> yeah. Enough you know, adulting for the Lord, taking care of your business, walking in his precepts and covenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up, uh, adulting, um, yeah. not taking the meat or the milk, but taking the meat. Right. Growing up in your faith, doing something about it, right? That's how, that's how you're going to, if you want to steward, you know, what's your dream in life? Well, you know what? You're going to have to, He's going to give it to you in pieces. He has mm-hmm. to, you have to first prove yourself a good steward with what he's given you, right? A little, and then he'll give you a lot. Doesn't mm-hmm. it say that? It does. Yeah. The talents, right? The same, right. Again. And again, the talents, right? But to be faithful in the small, all that, right? Well, if you're not in cooperating in his alignments and in his growth process, uh, in the equipping that's needed for you to be a good, not only a good steward, but a good warrior for his kingdom advancement, 
you're gonna miss out. Yeah. And you're probably gonna get devoured by the giants in your territory, mm. if, especially if you show up in your territory late or if, you're, if you don't leave the territory you're in because you're supposed to go to another. I mean, there's all, it's like string theory. There's all these things from all these mm. different angles. And Let's look at another example. Okay, so first of all, the what wears my territory. I, I suppose we could throw in when there too because as right. you mentioned with Yeshua, and when he needed to be here and there, when yeah. you needed to go to Dallas. Uh, and, and Michael will be the first one to tell everybody, I mean, because he wrote the chronological gospels, mm -hmm. everything was chronological. Once right. you put Yeshua's life in, in order, all of a sudden it makes sense. And every, all the yep. mysteries just fall away. So secondly, I just wanna ask you from a practical perspective, when you went to Texas, what or who were the giants in your territory? Do you remember? Well, yeah, well, definitely my, my mind. Okay. Me, I was one of my friends, because it took me over three years to submit to it. Mm. <clears throat> um, I, was, I was in the shower. God you know, talks to me in the most... <laughs> I'm in the shower, and he goes, and out of nowhere, he says, you know, your biological father was from San Antonio. And I'm like, yeah. Oh. If my biological father, who I never knew, my mom and him divorced when I was two, was from San Antonio, Texas, I have a... Some some sort of boom. I have a I have a I have a tie here. I have a tie in a connection to Texas. That whether I knew it or not, whether I understood it or not, right? That's besides the point. Hmm. Interesting. So I just you had to get wrap it around your head that you were right. You were well, yeah. To be there. I mean, apparently I was supposed, obviously I was supposed to be there. Yeah. Uh, but then just because you're obviously supposed to be there, Nineveh, you you have to submit to the process. You have mm. to submit to. That. So I was definitely one of my first giants mm. in the land. And how did you possess your territory? Question number three in that scenario. Right. Again. So I submitted to the fact that I lived. In, I remember just going, okay, I live here. All right. Now let's. Now I'm, I, I will be cooperative in the in this process so that I can figure out where my next steps are, where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and the next thing was uh, I needed to conquer was my ability to actually work a day job because he was literally telling me, I want you to stop touring, I want you to stop mm. doing this musically, and I, and I want you to work a, a day job. Mm. I'm like, but I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to work a traditional job. What skill sets and all that. And he, he took care of that. Wow. I mean, within three years, I was working for IBM. Wow. Right? How punk rock is that? <laughs> That's pretty punk rock. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk more about how Yehovah takes care of us as he is equipping us. And we just need to listen. We'll do more about that in just a second. But right now, I want to thank you for bringing Alan Aguirre to us. And if you've been enjoying these shows, you have you to thank for it. Because without you, we don't have this show. So we want to thank you again and give you a couple of minutes to consider supporting Shabbat Night Live again. We'll be back in just a sec. Thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. Before the break, we were talking with our guest, Alan Aguirre, about the giants in our land, how we need to uh, take possession of our territory, push out the giants, and we sort of got into how we do that. Um, and part of that is prayer, fasting, praying in the spirit. And during the worship. break, you told me this, in worship, you told me the story of how, uh, well, I'll let you tell it, about, about laying things down. Yeah. So tell, tell me about that. It's, it really is all about alignment. Um, I was around 2006. I was. Uh, was this in Dallas still? Yeah, okay. in Dallas. Okay. Um, I, I really needed. I needed some intervention for you know employment. You know whatever. Sure. So I was. I was praying. You know, and I was like, man, I was praying hard. Praying hard. And I was doing. You know, I was doing the, the you know laying stuff at the foot of the cross. You know, my my intellect, my abilities, my talents. My bank account, my family, you know, my this, my that, goals right? and aspirations, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I was getting down and dirty, getting low, you know. And uh, so, I, you know, after doing that for I don't know how long, you know, there was this pause. God was literally pausing for dramatic effect. <laughs> and he goes, you done? And I was like, Whoa. I mean, I was so offended that he would talk to me like that, that he would say that and talk to me like that. And I was like, like, who are you to? I'm your servant. Don't speak to me like that. Like, it was like, even worse yeah. than that. It was like, no. Huh. And I'm like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> and he's like, good, because all that stuff you just laid at the foot of the cross of my son, 
I mean, yeah. He's like, that's not even yours to lay at the, that's not even yours to do that with. It's not even yours. And he goes, you bring nothing to the table. And I was like, oh my God, the revelation of, I bring nothing to the table because I'm the guy that always brings something to the table. I bring nothing to the table. Mm. It was like, and I just fell on my face and cried out for mercy. Because mm. if I don't bring nothing to the table, I, I've got nothing. That's exactly right. I just fell, man, pleaded for mercy. Mercy, 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 mercy. I remember early on, in the early, mid, to, mid to late 80s, I knew the art director. The art director for Price is Right was uh, one of the elders of our church. And he was a humble guy. I mean, he was humble. He goes, I don't want to be known as his name, art director. I want to be known as, you know, son of, son of God. And I used to think, man, and, you know, Moses was the most humblest man on the earth. It's like, how does a, an arrogant man like me, how does a man like me become humble? It, I didn't have any of that. I didn't, I didn't understand how to be that guy. I didn't mm. know how to do that at all. And so when I was told that I brought nothing to the table and I understood it and I, and I, and I, and I, I got it, it changed my life. It really did change my life. I mean, everything changed after that. It really is about alignment. If we don't align ourselves with the basic, fundamental, foundational teachings of the scriptures, I'm not quite sure what it is that we're doing then. Because Christianity, is this is not a philosophy, and it's not a morality play. This is literally life and death. And it's played in a spiritual realm, a dimensional realm outside of our understanding and comprehension, which means we now have to do the work of submitting to the Holy Spirit in order to have access to understanding of that and in that realm, right? Jesus told the Samaritan woman, God is, you know, God is spirit and, and you must worship him in spirit and truth. This is, that's where this is played out. And if, it's, and if that's not on your list, if that's not a priority, then you're doing something else than serving, serving the Father, mm. who's spiritual. And we have to worship him and serve him in spirit and truth, which means we have, again, walking in the spirit versus walking in the mind, not processing in the mind, processing in the spirit, you know, connecting the dots, uh, the decisions of, that we make in life, you know, have to be done in that realm at that level, or we're not actually doing this thing. Which, and if, and, and if you don't believe in charismatica, that's not going to help you with this process. Mm. It's actually going to militate against it. All right, because spirit and truth. And, right. and, and I think that's what a lot of folks who, who search out Hebrew roots get into just the knowledge. Right. Now it's just truth. Yeah, sure, you got lots of truth. That's fine. But now you've lost the whole spirit thing, and right. you're still only half full. Right. I mean... Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount, which was Torah. He battled against Lucifer with the Torah. But he met people where they were at, you know, and healed them, mm -hmm. cast out their demons, healed their sick. He did that a lot more than the other stuff. It's not one or the other. Right. It's all of it. One thing I find very interesting about the uh, parable of the talents is that if Yehovah shows you in the spirit that you are to do something, uh, spirit truth, so say, say in the truth, in the truth realm, so the, the, the physical realm, let's just go there, that you have nothing to fear. You will succeed. If there's something, some risk involved, like the master who gave the, the servant 10 talents and said, here, do something with it. Right. And he took a step of faith and said, okay, I'm gonna do something with it. Step down, you're going to succeed. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's, that's another thing, too. We get lazy in that we just expect God to lay all the blessings on us. Well, once we have those, we got to push them back out again with risk of risking it all. 
right. and expect that we will receive it back again because that's the way this works. That, that's the... Yeah. In the parable of the talents and the minas, two things we need to really, I think, understand about it based on what we're talking about right now is, mm-hmm. one, they were given what they were given based on predetermined skill sets. The guy that got five got five because he could steward five. Right. The guy got two because he could steward two. He couldn't steward five. The guy that got one got one because that's all he could steward, and he still failed. Right? So one, we're given what we can handle. Mm -hmm. Two, he left. Here, and then he bails. Mm, That's interesting. And then he comes back for you to give an account of your stewardship. Well, as Christians, we are constantly going back and going, hey, do this for me. Hey, if you keep asking your boss to do your job for you, you're going to get fired. And Jesus isn't here. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He ascended. He's not even here. The Holy Spirit is. And, and, and so the fact that the vast majority of Christianity doesn't have a relationship with that Holy Spirit is perplexing to me. Hmm. Because what are you doing and what, who are you doing it with? But then that's why it's a form of godliness that denies the power because they don't have relationship with the rock. Mm-hmm. Which is, what, what's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? To teach you all truth and, and to convict you of sin. I mean, it's, he's the one that's giving you the wherewithal to do all of this. Right. It's the power. It's right. The, the power, power within is right yeah. there. So you the, should... the power to understand mm-hmm. and the power to allow yourself to be transformed mm-hmm. and then the power to walk in that transformation. Right. The power to do the stuff. The right. power to... Heal the sick, the t- cast out demons. Yeah. Take the 10 talents and make and 10 more. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So why, yeah, exactly. So, and then once you have that realization that, okay, I have the spirit, I can do all things. Oh, and maybe now through I can him go, who strengthens me. Maybe now I can go possess my land. Now I, maybe I can go my possess, my, possess my land. Yeah, exactly. And, and see, and that's big. I think maybe this is the biggest lesson of this whole series is that the giants in the land are summed up in our own thoughts our own limitations on ourselves that we just won't right. allow the spirit to take over and do the stuff because we're just we're getting in the way of Yahweh right. doing and, stuff through and, us. And some of those giants can be generational ties, mm-hmm. uh, gen- generational curses, spirit of poverty, right? But then again, in, in essence, so let's say the spirit of poverty, but yet if you were given... You know, one of, if you were given the 10 talents to create 10 more and you thought, oh, I can't do it because there's this big spirit of poverty against me, but you are the one that can actually make the most return of what Yahweh is giving you, you. He wouldn't give you 10 if you couldn't steward exactly. the 10. Exactly. I absolutely, completely, absolutely believe that simply because of what it says in both the Old and New Testaments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, wow. So to, to put this in a nutshell, we just really need to work on not letting our own minds, our own thoughts get in the way of what Yehovah wants us to do and, and destroy what, the, the path that he wants us to be on. I want to read something from page 110 of your book. This is in a section, uh, this is the lesson called, it's week 18, Identity Promise versus Identity Crisis. And you said that, <clears throat> excuse me, the extreme liberalism that has crept into the church in the last 10 years or so is the other side of the same uh, same coin. You spoke of a coin here earlier that folks can read about. The extreme legalism of the Judaizers of the first century. And for the record, not a single definition online or a casual Google search will yield the correct biblical definition of a Judaizer. <laughs> that amazing. Yeah, the, the false narratives, false theologies, false doctrines, false understanding, false teachings, and false explanations that define a false liberal gospel or exegesis come from the same false spirit that defined a legal... Uh, a legalistic gospel or exegesis. And yes, the same holds true for any biblical falsehood coming from any camp. Here's the point. Once you allow feelings, prejudices, human understanding and reasoning, social status, era, geographical content, culture, gender, sexual preference, agenda, politics, once you allow humanity into the equation, again, our own thoughts, our own, right? When addressing, understanding, reasoning, explaining scripture, the biblical text, you're in trouble. 
That's impossible not to do, too many will shout. They seriously believe that it's impossible not to factor in the human element. I adamantly disagree, says you, the author. <laughs> Again, isn't the whole reason behind salvation to be saved from ourselves and our own human condition? Isn't that entirely the purpose of Yeshua? So why would we rely on our humanity to guide us in such things? That doesn't make any sense. Man, that's a, who, who wrote that? Some genius, I don't know. Dang. This Alan McGuire guy. You know but there I, you go. This whole thing is, well, you've said this before. Didn't you write a book called This Thing is Spiritual? I did. Yeah. When I got saved, I didn't have any reference I had very little reference. I knew Jesus, I knew, I knew there was a God, a Jesus character, Savior. You know, I, I knew all the basics. But when I got saved, I'm reading the Bible, and it talked about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a new band or in a new gang, you know. Jesus is the leader of this band of misfits or whatever, ragamuffins, and, and, um, and he's doing all this stuff. Now, again, I believed in a spiritual realm. I figured that if there's a God, then there's good God stuff, and, if there's, and then there's bad devil stuff, you know, that the demonic is just as real as the holy, um, you know, and that, and that God could do supernatural exploits, but so could the enemy, whatever that looks like, you know, Right? I mean, I figured this stuff was real. If this stuff is real, this stuff is going on. So now I'm reading this Bible about Jesus and doing all these exploits, you know, casting out demons, healing the sick, whatever it might be. And, and he's giving the same authority and power to his disciples to do the same. So I'm reading this with no reference going, okay, well, this applies to me too. Otherwise... This is all a farce. If, if the biblical narrative, if the scriptures do not apply to me in the United States of America in the 20th, 21st century, right, then this isn't really true. This either transcends aeon and culture or it's not really true. Hmm. Well, I got saved. I believed. I, I got. I believed this stuff enough to respond correctly to the call of Messiah on my life. It would then mean the next logical step would mean that the text for this faith that I just bought into mm-hmm. is also true, and that what it says is applicable for my life too, not just. 10% of it, not just 50% of it, not, not just 80% of it, but 100% of this, that's, I mean, I'm not a woman, so the stuff in the Torah about women doesn't apply to me. I'm not a farmer, so, I mean, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, let's use our, our logic here, right? This stuff applies to me or it's not true. And that's how I have approached this this entire 40 years. When you start doing that, when you start bringing in your prejudices, your agenda, when you start bringing, when you start factoring in what you want this thing to say or to be like, man, not only is this going to work out for you now, not only is this not going to work out for you now, it's not going to work out for you later on. God's not mocked. You will reap what you sow. And for, and who are you? Oh, man, to say that his scriptures are fluid, that his commandments are fluid, or that his Torah doesn't apply to you because of Jesus. That is the most ludicrous thing I can think of. You just cancel Jesus out. If Jesus is the word made flesh and you believe that Jesus came to do away with that same word, I'm not sure what it is that you're believing. I'm not sure what, it, what God you're believing or what Jesus you believe in. I'm not exactly sure what it is that you're doing. Hmm. Because that doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. You know? And it won't stand in, in the court of law, let alone the, the court of heaven. So just because I don't, or just because I do, just because me 
I don't define what the scriptures mean. I don't define what, the, what God's intention was when he wrote this or when he mm -hmm. said this. I don't understand how people, well, I do. I know exactly why people do that, and they do it all the time. And, 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 there's, and there's a whole slew of Christian entertainers <coughs> that have been doing that as of late, just recently, a few weeks ago, again. And I don't understand how I, well, I, well, I do. I do understand how they can get to that place and point. Um, there's no fear of God. They don't fear God. They do not fear God. And they're, you know, it says in Proverbs that the man that doesn't heed the cry of wisdom, right? Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That when calamity befalls you, wisdom will laugh at you, will mock you for your stupidity and your laziness for not heeding her mm. when she cried out in the street. So yeah, if you when if you start, if you bring in that recipe. To, the, to, to any of this that we're talking about. Your prejudices, your likes, your dislikes, your politics, your agenda, whatever sign you're holding up today, mm -hmm. you start bringing that to the equation? No. No. Mm. You will lose your territory. You will lose your possession. You will lose your inheritance. And you will be devoured by the giants. So the key is stick to the word. Don't put any of your stuff in there and follow the manual. You know, I don't I, I, the don't, Bible. I don't I don't abstain from bacon because I don't like bacon. I abstain from bacon because he tells me to. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a list of things that I don't do that I would like to do that I don't do because he tells me not to because it's not good for me or because it's dangerous to me. Right. So, because, one, because I love him, I keep his commandments. Mm -hmm. And because he's sovereign, it's the right thing to do. How do I base this on me? That's, that, that completely conflicts and goes against the basic premise of your born-again salvation experience, which apparently everyone's forgotten about because they, they change the rules as they go along. No, 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 no. You don't change the rules to fit you. You change your life to fit it. Exactly. And they, they're not, they don't want to do that. Mm. It's, it's tragic, actually. Alan, thank you for writing Exodus to In Gathering Field Manual. Oh, the series, that you're, is. You're welcome. I think it's thank you very for helpful <laughs> for people to stay on track, keep our own thoughts out of the equation, and be led by the Spirit, uh, which is the beginning of wisdom, in order to get rid of the giants that are coming our way that we will have to yeah. encounter. Uh, it's happened to the Israelites. Paul warns us that in the future we're going to be coming up against these things as well. Right. And, you know, here we go. So thank you again for joining us. Welcome. Thanks and, for having uh, me. Wonderful. So thank you for joining us uh, for Shabbat Night Live. This concludes this series, and we thank you for joining us. And uh, we actually see you uh, next week for Shabbat Night Live. Shavuot Tov.